Hey guys, Anna Victoria here, and I'm so excited for you to join me on my podcast, Your Best Life. I'm the CEO and founder of the FitBody app, a fitness influencer, and a personal trainer. Every week, I'm going to have a special guest that will share their unique experience and unique story to share how they learned how to live their best life, even if they're still working on it, since we are all a work in progress. I can't wait to help you learn how to create your best life. Welcome back to another episode of Your Best Life. Anna Victoria here and Luca. Hi. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Our guest today is Leah Haberman, who is a digital media marketing expert, strategist, and speaker whose career has spanned stints at entertainment and lifestyle brands, including E!, Yahoo, Dick Clark Productions, and The Wrap. She was the VP of Content and Operations at Livestrong.com, the Editorial Executive Director at Beachbody, and is currently an adjunct professor of social media marketing at UCLA. So Luca, what are you most interested to hear Leah talk about? Definitely we should ask Leah where, where the market is going, you know, the new trends, you know, TikTok. I think there is actually a lot to unpack there. Yeah, um, what I think is really interesting to talk about, and it's it's funny because I feel like this conversation and like what Leah does, this is what we do, you know, like in terms of like social media marketing and content creation and, and all that stuff. I mean, it's truly not where we start. Like, it's not where I personally started on social media. I started back in 2012 when it wasn't even a thing. Yeah. Obviously as you know, Instagram evolved and turned into a thing, you know, and I had this amazing opportunity to connect with so many women. It became what it is, but um, I would like to dive into since it has become such a thing of creating personal brands and everyone can create their own small business really through Instagram these days and how do people make money over Instagram and all that stuff so here is my conversation with Leah Haberman Hi, Leah. Thank you so much for joining us on Your Best Life. How are you? Hello. I'm good. It's so great to see you. How are you doing? Yes, I'm doing great. Surviving, you know? (laughs) I hear you. Um, Do you want to start by sharing a bit about who you are and what you're about? So I teach social media marketing and influencer marketing at UCLA. Um, I've worked in media and marketing, um, worked for different companies, including E, Yahoo, Dick Clark Productions, um, Livestrong.com, which is the health and fitness site where we met, worked for Beachbody, and now I'm teaching and consulting and working for different creators and founders. Okay. And how did you, did you study marketing? Like, is this where your career started or is this what it kind of uh, transitioned into? No, um, I am a history major, medieval history. So for anybody out there with a degree wondering like, what am I going to do with my life? (laughs) Um, No, you can do anything. I studied history. I then got into journalism um, and then sort of one thing led to another. Uh, and that's why I always say, you know, whenever anybody's like, what's my five or 10 year plan? I mean, it's good a good idea to have an idea of where you're going. Yeah. But at the same point, who could have predicted COVID? And you never know what you're doing now might be totally different from what you're doing five to 10 years from now. Right. I mean, 10 years ago, social media marketing and influencer marketing was not a thing. No. Um, I was working at E! 10 years ago. And the uh-huh. interesting thing is, so celebrities were sort of the OG right. influencers. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to run polls on the E! online Twitter account. And we would ask people, this was like right, you know, back in the day, it was very kind of like, you know, bootstrapping, trying to figure out social media. And we would run polls of like, hey, what celebrity photos do you want us to buy from an agency today so that we can run them online? And every time we would put up like, hey, there's these four celebrity guys, who do you want to see? Anytime we would put Channing Tatum in the poll, Channing Tatum, who was on very early on social media, would retweet and ask the people that followed him to vote for him. So he would win all the time. So you would see there's probably an era at E of like 2009, 2010, where on the website, you'd see photos of Channing Tatum all the time. It's because he was leveraging social media. Wow, That was probably my first sort of grasp of like, oh, look at the power of having an online audience that you can leverage to do these things for you. Um, So yeah, Channing Tatum, one of the OG influencers, I want to say. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's actually, I've never would have expected that at (laughs) all. Um, Also because I don't really think of him. I don't, I don't follow him, but so I don't know, but I don't really think of him as someone like, whereas the, the rock, for example, really in today, you know, just like 
is everywhere and does an amazing job at leveraging his brand. Um, and Channing Tatum isn't one that I think of. But, I, you know, you I know. think people have kind of like over the years, people like there's been an ebb and flow of who's been really like Ashton Kutcher used to be really involved online. Right. He had some issues on Twitter um, and kind of pulled back. And now he's more yeah. of an investor in, in tech mm-hmm. and social um, as opposed to being deeply involved. But you're right. The Rock huge. I mean, I would say right now, probably one of the most impactful people. Oh yeah. But I will also say, and I can even say in my, you know, on my much smaller scale in comparison to the people we're talking about, you can get burnout quick, you know, like it's very intense to be kind of always front and center and very engaged and involved and, you know, trying to stick up, you know, uh, keep up with all the trends. But um, with that being said, how would you say that social media marketing has changed from the early days to present day? So it's interesting. Are we talking about brands or companies or are we talking about influencers? Because I think that they're yeah. sort of going, there's two different tracks there. Yeah, I would say from like the personal brand influencer side. From the personal brand influencer side, well, like you said, it's it's tricky to keep up, and I think it's only yeah. going to actually get trickier um, coming up soon. So mm-hmm. kind of the way that it happened is like, you know, you had the original, it was like the bloggers, and the bloggers were the people that yeah. obviously wrote blogs, made money through ad revenue. Um, yeah. Then they got on YouTube. They would make money through YouTube ads. Mm-hmm. Um, then influencers started getting paid by brands for sponsored posts, um, for example, on Instagram. And it's still the number one way that influencers make money is through sponsored posts. However, we are seeing a diversification of revenue and attention. So especially I think TikTok helped kind of spur this Mm -hmm. trend um, where a lot of people saw an opportunity. And that is one of the things that you're supposed to do as an influencer. It's like jump on either a, a new feature, a new technology, a new platform, test it out. What a lot of people are seeing now, the people that I'm talking to is they're, you know, growing their audience on TikTok. They've dialed back posting to YouTube and Instagram, but because of TikTok, they're growing those platforms. So I think that moving forward, you're going to have to kind of diversify like where you're posting Mm -hmm. and you might be able to actually grow your Instagram audience through TikTok more than you will be able to just posting to Instagram alone, Um, which makes it more work for everybody. But that's sort of the way that we're seeing things going. Yeah. And I think that it's so hard, like speaking as an influencer, like it's so hard to know where your time is best well spent, especially when there are these new platforms when it's early on, because you're like, is this worth my time? Like, do I, should I, and you don't know, you don't know until I don't want to say it's too late, but like, it's, you know, never too late, but like, who could have predicted that TikTok would be as huge as it is. And I'm someone that like, sitting back and looking at it and I'm like, okay, like I already feel like I've I've been having a hard time with Instagram lately just because now I'm also running a business. Like I'm not just an influencer, you know? And so for me, it's been like, do I really need to put all this effort into TikTok, you know? And also like how to make the content different. From my perspective, I think that that's one of the struggles. Would you agree? Or do you think that people can easily just, uh, Um, Well, there's two things that I want to jump on there. One is, I think it depends on which stage of influence. So there's different stages of growth. And I think if you're at the very beginning of your career and trying to get more attention, you're just going for like as wide a strategy as possible. As you become more of a business, and we should definitely get into that because every influencer is a small business owner, entrepreneur, founder, and really needs to focus on that. But I think at that point, you need to look at where your money is coming from. Like, where's the revenue coming from? How is this driving the business of you. And that should really dictate. And I think a lot of people are like, should I jump on reels? Should I do this? Should I be on TikTok? And it's like, okay, well, how does that serve your business? In terms of can you cross post? I think right now, especially with reels and TikTok being so similar, I think especially right now you can cross post between the two. But eventually, as we see with every platform, every platform deserves its own original content. And so- Yeah, we will get to the point where you're not going to be able to cross post. you got to like dedicate resources to each one. Right. And um, I will just say that, you know, this is something that I also kind of 
I don't want to say that it's uh, a lesson that I learned the hard way because thankfully my Instagram and my community is so amazing and I've been able to run my business pretty much exclusively through Instagram. But I, I always kind of kick myself for not getting on being more adamant about YouTube, you know, early on, because I was, I was posting videos in 2015 and some of those videos have like hundreds of thousands of views, but I just, I, I kind of, instead of putting you know, all my eggs in one basket, I put like one egg in the YouTube basket and then just kind of left it there, you know? So I feel like this is something, a lesson I probably should be learning from myself. But, you know, like you said, when there's a business involved, you know, you have to look at where your revenue is coming from. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure that in a way, since you mentioned, like you could grow your Instagram more from just being on TikTok and growing that platform, sales might not necessarily come directly through TikTok, but indirectly from the growth, right? Yes, exactly. So um, where do you suggest that, you know, someone who's just wanting to get started, that is very early on, what, is there like a certain split that they should put into TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, or? I think um, in terms of TikTok, I think we have, we're going to see maybe six more months of this like crazy explosive growth. Like everybody's yeah. talking about, you know, they got on and within six months they had a million followers or mm-hmm. whatever the growth. Or one day, yeah, some people go viral. Yeah. yeah, some people who go <laughs> yeah. viral. Um, as the platform grows, um, as it figures out its problems that it's going through right now, obviously, with all the regulation, um, you know, eventually we're going to see it. It's going to sort of settle and you'll see like who comes out ahead, who are the clear influencers on that platform. Um, I think, I mean, I've been telling people for two years now, like get on TikTok, get on TikTok. Um, I think we have maybe six months left of that opportunity for explosive growth. So I think that if you're looking at your platforms right now and wondering where should I spend my time, I would spend my time on TikTok, certainly. Um, I would make that a priority. But then I would look at, okay, what are the other opportunities to actually make money, especially if you're looking at this as a business. So it's always that thing of like, are you an influencer just because you want the attention? Um, Or are you an influencer slash creator slash founder because you want to do this for, you know, the rest of your life or at least like the next, the foreseeable future? Um, And if that's the case, then look at the areas that you can grow that actually lead to monetization. Because if you're not getting paid, then it's not really a career. It's just Mm -hmm. like a fun hobby. And there's nothing wrong with it being a fun hobby. But, you know, the people that I work with are like, okay, how do I grow and how do I grow mm-hmm. with the purpose of growing a business and making money out of it? I think you have to look at like what's coming. So this year, Instagram said their three big priorities were um, creators, which is great. That's good because they're prioritizing yeah. influencers, um, shopping and video. And I was talking with one influencer who was like, should I be doing reels? Um, It doesn't really fit her persona necessarily. And she did a couple of reels. They didn't work that great. And I'm like, look, look at what else makes money. So Instagram has said that they are going to be, they're testing a beta on IGTV where you're going to be able to put ad breaks in IGTV. So yes, yes. (laughs) I'm so excited. Wait, I think I discovered this through your LinkedIn post. Did you post about this? Yes, yes, I did. Okay, yeah. So I follow you on LinkedIn and I don't really do anything on LinkedIn that much. I just, you know, check in every once in a while and I see your stuff more there than anything. And when I saw that, I was like, please, like I've been waiting for this forever. So what is the scoop on this new feature. Yes. So this is very good. So when Instagram says exactly like, okay, we're focusing on video. And I think everybody thought, oh, Reels is the newest thing. I should be doing Reels. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, just take a beat. Think about it. Earlier this year, or I don't know, time is like a flat circle with 2020. So it might've been late last year, early this year. Instagram said IGTV is going to now have ad breaks. And the creators or influencers that are posting longer form video on IGTV are going to make a portion of the revenue based off those ads, a little Mm -hmm. bit like posting on YouTube. Um, It's a beta program right now. So that means it's like only open to a very small select group of influencers or creators that are testing it out, but it is expected Mm -hmm. to roll out widely. So with that in mind, if Reels is not really your thing, I think think about, okay, what is, if I prefer long form video, and this is something, start building up your long form video library, both so that like people come to expect that from you. Because I think the problem is, mm-hmm. is like, if all of a sudden IGTV monetized tomorrow, everybody would be doing long form video and audiences would be like, where's this coming from? I don't understand. Like, why are you posting these videos? I don't want to see this from you. So you've got to kind of like break your audience in, get them used to seeing long form IGTV videos 
So when the monetization opportunity rolls out, you can just slide that in and people are already used to that format from you and have come to expect that from you and enjoy it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, I'll sit through a five minute or five second ad um, and then watch the rest of your video. And there'll be less noise too, because there'll be less people kind of posting those long form videos. Exactly. Which, you know, people have, I don't want to say people have kind of ignored IGTV. I think that there is like a core group of people that enjoy doing IGTV. I think there's the people that know that the monetization is coming, but for the Uh most part, everybody's kind of shifted over to reels because they're like, oh, it's new and I want to try and make an impact. Um, And I definitely think that like trying new features is very important, but if it's not natural to you or you don't really see a future to like, how does this fit in with your brand? I think it's really, IGTV is kind of like going to be a sleeper hit that will come out and actually make you money. And that's, again... Being an influencer or creator is like, it's about a business and a career and something that you are actually able to make a living off of. Yeah. And I totally agree. And I think that personally, that's something that I struggle with because I never started out thinking that it was a business, you know, like I started out everything, just wanting to create a community and connect with people uh, just because I was all alone in a different country, you know, in the end. And and yeah. like, obviously, as things developed, I did see opportunities for it to turn into a business. And it also was coming from a place of, I have student loans to pay off. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I'm just gonna, I can just make money. It was like, no, I need to survive. Like, I need to make a living. And what I'm doing is putting in 40 plus hours a week to provide value, you know? And I, I have to say, I don't know if I've shared this on any of my podcasts, but for anyone listening, in the early, early days, I'd say 2013 is when I started really realizing that I was essentially offering an advertising service to people that from my anonymous Instagram page uh, were asking me to post them. And after a while I was like, oh yes, I'm going to post you. This is genuinely motivating, you know, great, good content. And after a while it was like, oh wait, but you're advertising to people. You're, you're making money off of the growth that you're getting from me. Okay. $25 for one post. I got torn to shreds. I got told that I was a horrible person for trying to, you know, make money off of people from Instagram. And I just look back and I'm just like, oh man, like little did we know. And also I missed the days of $25 for one post that gets you 5,000 followers, you know, because it was the early days. You quadrupled that. I know. Well, I eventually did. Like as it grew, you know, I think rates got up to like 200 for a one hour post, you know, back in the day. And, you know, this is really how I supported myself when I was living in China. And then when I moved to Italy, you know, and it was advertising on that early page. Uh, the I don't know if I've talked to you about this, but that one was called InstaFem Fitness. It's separate from my Anna Victoria page, two completely different pages. But I realized that those shout outs or whatever, they were really negatively impacting my engagement and just overall like the connection with my community. Even though I was still anonymous at that point, I still had a voice that resonated with a lot of my followers. And so when I created the Anne Victoria page and I decided, okay, this is going to be my for my personal journey, um, I'm not going to post any ads. I'm not going to accept money from brands. Like unless it's something that I already use that I love or unless it's something that is new, but I genuinely love it, I'm, I'm not going to do paid posts because I was so protective of that engagement. And I still am to this day. I'm probably a little too paranoid and I could be making a lot more money with, with uh, you know, sponsored posts. But anyways, so how do you reconcile that for someone who is wanting to turn this into a business how do you marry those two like without, um, you know, abusing your audience, but still wanting to to accept sponsored posts? Well, I mean, I think like you said, you are very conservative in, mm-hmm. you know, the, the deals and the sponsorships that you do. But I think that you were kind of a little bit of ahead of the curve of like, yeah. basically you build the audience and the money will follow. So you certainly mm-hmm. have to build an audience, build a community that trusts you and you don't want to destroy that trust. Um, at the same point, I think we are shifting you know, how you said that you had built like your first community, really, it was like for about people talking and and exchanging ideas and connecting and communicating, which I think is still, you know, the original core, that was the original core purpose of social media. Um, But I think that people really understand now that being an influencer or creator is a business. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, there's certainly issues that we could get into that I feel like really touch upon a little bit sexism of you know, the fact that most influencers are young women. um, And so Mm -hmm. it's not taken seriously. And it's, 
an industry that's widely mocked uh, in the media. Yeah. And yeah. the there's a new um, American Influencer Council that just started this year. Yes, that has... I did not know this. Yes, there is a group out of New York um, that I think I'm really impressed with kind of their efforts of what they're trying to do. And it's the American Influencer Council. And they, are, they have a, a five pillar. And, you know, off the top of my head, I can't remember all of what the five pillars are, but one of them is like improve the perception of influencers. The other one is like work with the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, Mm -hmm. in terms of standardizing promoted posts and what you have to disclose, et cetera. Um, So I think that for a long time, people were like, influencers, that's just like girls posting selfies on Instagram. Totally. I I had to go through that with, yeah, many people, friends, family, all of it. I'm sure, yes, you know exactly what that is. So, but the thing is that, you know, you are building these communities, building these audiences, building this brand, and it is a business. And so I think I have a lot of feelings about authenticity. I mean, I think um, authenticity in its like true nature is very important. I think that we have gotten away from, you know, when people talk about authenticity, the problem is, is that, you know, when you're marketing, you're building a business, you're building a brand, you have to make money. Authenticity Mm -hmm. is not necessarily naturally aligned with marketing, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, promoting yourself or a product or a service that you're trying to sell. it's a fine line. I think you want to be, um, and I hate to use the word authentic just because I think it has lost meaning. And I think that Mm. people say I'm authentic, um, essentially is kind of like a, I'm a good person. You can believe me now buy this product. Um, but there has to be, you know, as long as you're accountable, you are accurate, you are transparent, um, Mm. and you're respectful of your audience. I think that it is okay to, at the same time, treat this as a business, and it really is. And the more that you grow, you are growing your business and you're using business tactics. You know, there's no easy answer for like how to respect Mm -hmm. your audience while at the same time making a profit selling something. Um, But I think it's completely understandable that like at this point, an influencer or creator um, is a business, is a business founder, small business owner, and you should be operating as such. At the same time, you have to remember that it's like, um, I saw somewhere a really good analogy where it was like, if you think of a magazine and if the entire magazine was ads, nobody would ever read magazines, but you have really amazing content, really amazing voices. As you're flipping, there's like an ad every few pages. Um, And I think that's a really good way to look at how you should be setting up your content offering. It's like, they're essentially your audience, your followers are like flipping through your magazine and every few pages there's an ad. um, And then there's really good content that keeps them sticking around until the next ad. That's a great analogy. I love that. I'm going to remember that because I I have a hard time. I don't know. I just think I'm so, I don't want to say traumatized. That's, you know, exaggerating, but like from the early days of like losing that engagement because it is so important to me that, you know, yeah, I just, I've gotten asked for collabs for $20,000 and I've said no, you know, like, and I, but you had the app. So this is where, and I actually use you in my classes as an example, (gasps) because there's so many young women in the class who are like, oh, I have 40,000 followers. And I'm like, what's your strategy? What are you about? Mm -hmm. What's your niche? And they don't know. And I'm like, look, Mm -hmm. it's great to have the audience, but if you don't know what to do with them, I'm like, you need a business plan. Like, what is your plan down the road? How are you going to make money past just taking cute selfies, for example. And so to me, I'm like, okay, here is a creator who built an audience and then built a business and you're now a tech entrepreneur. So it's like, okay, that's your monetization model. Cause there's so many people I work with. I'm just like, what are you going to do? Like, I don't really understand Mm -hmm. what your plan is or how you're going to make money beyond just like a few brand collaborations. So, right. And do you think it's okay for someone who is wanting to start out to not really have a specific end game, but know that they are passionate about, let's say, fashion and that they just kind of start out building that community, uh, creating a personal brand for themselves and not know, oh, I want a clothing line or I want a makeup line or whatever, and then eventually grow into that? Yeah, I think, I mean, listen, if you have less than 10,000 followers, you're really just Mm -hmm. focused on establishing yourself and trying to grow an audience and connect with that audience, and that's fine. I think it's like as you go from like nano to micro, at micro, it's like, okay, so start thinking about what are the different revenue streams that you can tap into? Certainly brand collaborations is one. Can you also teach classes? Um, Mm -hmm. Are you also, you know, running YouTube videos, for example, making ad revenue? Um, Are there, you know, if you're a a gamer, certainly, or on like certain platforms like Twitch or YouTube where you can like tip 
people. Um, Patreon, can you have people, you know, donating to your Patreon? Should you be starting a newsletter? So I think that's, as you're a micro-influencer and you're growing between that like 10,000 to 100,000 mark, that's when you should just start thinking about, okay, what are the opportunities for me? What are the ways that I enjoy making money that are like, if I can teach a class, if I'm terrible at public speaking, then probably teaching classes um, is not going to be for me. So what should I do? So look at the different revenue models and just kind of have an idea like, what am I going to be when I grow up? Kind of, you know? <laughs> Yeah. And um, so I, I did ping my followers to say, hey, I'm going to be talking about social media marketing. What questions yeah. do you have? Um, and so many asked, how do I get started? Because I feel like we are definitely kind of past the, you know, the, the curve of Instagram or, you know, however you would call it of like the big explosion, kind of like you said, we're in it for TikTok right now. So, but for Instagram, a lot of people were saying, I feel really discouraged by the algorithm and just overall by there being so much noise. So how do you get started and how do you stand out? I think that, you know, how do you get started? Have a plan. So maybe you're not thinking about revenue just yet, but mm-hmm. do you need to do all of the things like having a content calendar, um, having content buckets, having a niche. So it's like stand mm-hmm. out by trying to appeal to the least amount of people possible. So mm-hmm. standing out is not, I want to gain a thousand followers this week. Standing out is, I love fashion, but I specifically love fashion for 20-year-olds who live in the Midwest and love to shop at, I don't know, Kohl's or something. Like, I'm kind of off the top of my head here, just an example, but it's like, you know, really, really, really dial down and try and build that, like, niche brand for yourself and niche community, and that's what will grow. But if you go out and are trying to appeal to, like, the widest amount of people possible, it's like it's oversaturated. You're not going to make an impact. Um, And you would really have to have some other thing on the side, like being an actress or a singer or something like that, where you're, like, attracting an audience in some other way. I think that if you are just you and you are, you know, an average person that is trying to build an audience and have no other means of getting attention, like I said, like, being a personality on TV or something like that, then really like dial in and find that like super niche community, which again also is like by going out and supporting other people. So that's the, I mean, we haven't really talked about that, Mm -hmm. but it's like Mm -hmm. certainly going out, talking to other people, supporting other people, leaving thoughtful comments. One of the best piece of advice I had somebody, um, I think you met her, the delicious Sarah Gim. Yes. Yes. You were on a a panel together. Thank you for at social media week. Um, and she talked about how she plateaued and she plateaued at like, Mm -hmm. I think it was like 150 or 200 thousand followers. And she said, you know, she was panicking and then she was like, okay, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to go and look at who else is in my space. What are they doing? I'm going to go comment genuinely and not just be like cute or, you know, like a kissy emoji, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's like, she's like, I'm going to engage with them deeper. She started writing longer captions that were really funny and snarky and showed her personality. She started leaving really thoughtful replies to her comments, which prompted people to start leaving more thoughtful comments. Like in a way, she was almost Mm. guilting you into writing better, deeper (laughs) comments because you were like, I know she's going to come back with something really smart. So if I'm going to comment on her photo, I want it to be meaningful and like match up to the amount of effort she puts into her replies. And so for her, that was like a way to kind of get over the hump of like she had plateaued a little bit and there was just no movement. And so that was her way of kickstarting her growth. Would you say that that is like one of the key things is like that interaction, like directly with your followers? Like, or do you ever think that there's a point where their time is better spent interacting with like the other similar accounts. Like what I see happening a lot, like you said, is like just leaving like the smiley emoji or whatever, you know, just to like kind of get your name put at like the the bottom of the comments for people to see. Uh, Is that an effective strategy or are they better off really nurturing the community that they've already built, even if it's on the smaller side? Um, I would say you're better spent nurturing your own community if you are going to go off and comment on a competitor or a peer, for example. Make sure that whatever you're putting really is of value and smarter. I think that's what we're seeing is like longer, smarter, more thoughtful, in-depth comments. Um, I think that you're probably better served nurturing your own community. And then if you do engage with other people, just make sure it 
counts. I think that the kissy emoji, it's like, it could be a bot. It could be. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. You know, cause we've reached out to influencers uh, as a brand, you know, like I have kind of two different viewpoints. Like I'm an influencer and we're a company who we, you know, have collabed with influencers in the past. And I always look through comments and I'm like, if there are too many emojis, like that's not true engagement. Because I yeah. think from a business standpoint, when you want to look at someone's engagement, since that is arguably, and you can share your thoughts, but more important than following is like the actual engagement. You know, if it's all emojis and if they're just replying to every comment just to boost those numbers, then like that's not true engagement. Yeah. Do you have any guidance on that? So I think there's three things that people are, brands are measuring right now when they're looking yeah. at whether they're going to do a collaboration with you. So one is reach. And they mm -hmm. want to know, you know, you might have to screenshot your reach or yep. brands are using analytical tools to be able to like look at your reach. They're looking at your engagement rate. Um, certainly, I think engagement is really important. And I would say last, they're looking at your follower count. So there are plenty of nano or micro influencers that are getting brand deals, that are growing, that are doing mm -hmm. things. Um, you know, they might have 2,000 followers, but they have amazing engagement or amazing reach. And so reach is you know, how many people's feeds that you got into or how many people saw your post. And that is just as important. Somebody might not have commented or engaged, but they did see your post. And so from a brand perspective, that is really important. So I think reach and engagement are important. Start looking at either bookmarks or shares. Like are people putting your post into their stories? I would say bookmarks and shares are probably one of the most important measurements uh, for this year. And then it's engagement, yeah. likes and comments. Um, and then it's actual number of followers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really encouraging for anyone that's listening. That's like, how do I get started? Because you don't have to have, you know, 200,000 followers to get these brand deals. You can still have a minimal amount and just have really amazing engagement. And what I've noticed too, is that people with those, would you call them nano yeah, influencers? Nano yeah. yeah. So there's nano, there's micro, and then macro. Macro. Mega and then celebrities. Mega. Celebrities like okay. The Rock. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's encouraging for anyone that's listening because like I get reached out to all the time of like, how do, how do I start growing? You know, yeah. and I think that the number one thing I hear is like, I almost feel like I shouldn't even try. How am I going to get to 100,000 followers, you know, et cetera. So you um, don't, it's the quality of your network, not yeah. the quantity of your network. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And what's the difference between a visual brand identity and a personal brand? So first of all, I think we all have a brand. Like every single yeah. person, every time you post to social, you are building your own brand. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a talk I did this summer talking to people like UCLA uh, graduates about mm -hmm. looking for a job. And the, there's like a crazy number where it's like 75% of recruiters are looking at your social media profiles yeah. um, for a job. And I think it's like, some extraordinary number of, you know, that are getting judged for what they're putting out there and not yep. getting hired. So at this point, personal brand matters just as much as, you know, yeah. any other type of brand. Um, so we all have a brand. In terms of visual branding, visual branding, of course, if you're an influencer, it's like you've got to take it up a step. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole list of, think about all of the touch points, every single thing that somebody can see about you, your header, your avatar, your bio, the colors you use, the clothing that you wear, the fonts you use, the graphics, the photos you post, the video, your LinkedIn, your Twitter, your Facebook, all of those touch points that people can see if you send an email or a newsletter, the voice and tone that you use, every mm -hmm. single one of those elements that somebody can see a piece of you is part of your visual branding. So it's really important. I think it's important whether you're an influencer or just anyone that posts online and you want to make sure that, you know, every single touch point is driving home your message. And so mm -hmm. if you're looking for a job, make sure that you have a consistent profile across Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, mm -hmm. LinkedIn. You're all pointing to the same place. The, your avatar is the same so people can recognize you, the link, everything, your, your language that you mm -hmm. use, it all needs to be consistent. And so that's just kind of on a personal level. If you're an influencer, then yes, you do need to make sure that like, do the colors look good? Do they, yeah. you know, signify whatever your core values are? Um, 
How does your avatar make people feel? Are you using the right type of graphics or the right type of font that really like suits the type, your type of personality? Because of course, yeah. there's like fonts that are really modern. There's fonts that are more traditional and classic, you know, so you just have to look at all of those yeah. different touch points. Yeah. And what would you say like for someone who actually has a small business and they're wanting to begin advertising on social media um, how do they get started and how do they know like what amount of budget is appropriate or maybe what platform to advertise on? So uh, it's funny you ask this because literally in two hours, I start teaching a paid social class at UCLA. So oh, wow. um, I'm, I'm like steeped in paid social. Um, yeah. I think that Facebook, if you look at who owns um, digital marketing or like who owns mm -hmm. the ad dollars, it's Facebook, it's Google, and it's Amazon. Mm -hmm. Facebook is number one. 78% of ad dollars are spent on Facebook. So that's Facebook and obviously they own Instagram and Messenger. So I think if you're going to be spending money, you're spending money through Facebook, whether that's just on Instagram or Facebook and Instagram. And I think it depends on where your audience is. So you have to have a really good understanding. Who is your audience? How old are they? Where do they live? What are their interests, behaviors, likes, dislikes, for example? Then I think you can Google uh, benchmarks. So this is a good question. Like if you've never spent any money on paid social, don't go in blind and just be like, I don't know, we're going to try $50. Um, if you Google, there are benchmarks. Like people, companies have put out, like this is the benchmark for like a CTR, a click-through rate. Um, you understand cost per acquisition. Um, they'll say like, okay, you know, in this industry, you should expect to pay, for example, seven or eight dollars to acquire, you know, an app user, or a website mm -hmm. visitor or whatever. Have an idea of what the benchmarks are, because then you can kind of look at like, okay, if I know that it costs me seven dollars to acquire a user that word's kind of like harsh and they you know i don't know if you watch the social dilemma but they talked about I, like it's on my list <laughs> okay they talked about like there's only two industries where they use the word user and one's the drug industry and one is the social media industry wow yeah that the whole thing will just kind of it's all stuff that you know yeah. but it will just blow yeah. your mind the way they present yeah. it anyways if it costs you seven dollars to acquire a user you then have a benchmark of like okay well if I spend $200, here is a kind of like the ballpark of how many users I can expect to acquire. So I think if you Google social media paid benchmarks, there's a lot of information out there that you will be able to get an idea of what it costs, um, what conversion costs specifically in, you know, to your industry, um, what conversion looks like. So have a really good idea. I've talked to different people just in terms of, you know, people who are like paid social experts for this mm -hmm. class that I'm going to be teaching. Um, and I've gotten a range from either like $50 up to $500 a month. So I really think it depends on your industry. It depends on, are you trying to attract followers? Are you trying to drive sales? Mm -hmm. It really depends on what you're trying to do. But I think that you need to know that you're going to spend between $50 to $500 depending on what your business goals are. Yeah. And actually one of the questions I got for, from one of my followers for you is, yeah. is there a different strategy for social media marketing, depending on the business type? Yes, absolutely. And I think some of that is dictated by, there are certain things, if you're selling a product, for example, right now, uh, carousels, whether that's on Facebook or mm -hmm. Instagram, carousels are like the number one converting post. So if you sell a product, you want to be using Facebook and Instagram carousel posts. There are certain categories that Facebook deems um, not troublesome, but it's like there's extra regulation. For me, we can't post transformation pictures. Yes, you can't post transformation photos. Yeah. Um, for real mm -hmm. estate, if you're selling real estate, there are really strict rules on audience targeting mm. to make sure that you are not discriminating against a certain type of audience. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there are industries, you know, if it's social justice, if it's politics, for example, um, there are a lot of regulations right now around what you can advertise around politics. I do remember from working, you know, in health and fitness, like a woman in a sports bra, very hard, that will get flagged. Yeah. And so you have to be mm -hmm. very, very careful about what kind of advertising that you're running. So yes, it very much changes from industry to industry. Um, yeah. And I think that like Facebook has a lot of information. Facebook Blueprint is online classes that Facebook offers for free. So 
Google Facebook blueprint um, and you can look up and they will explain to you like what are the industries that like you have to be aware of certain things. What are the things you're not allowed to target? Like you said, transformations mm -hmm. or talking about a person's age or talking specifically about their location, for example. Um, we've certainly over the years, I think 2017 to 2018 was kind of the golden era of you could do anything and target anybody on Facebook down to the person. And now they've put in a lot more protections in place for people's privacy. So it's become a little bit stricter. Um, and I think that you really have to be informed and look up the information that Facebook is giving you about your specific industry. Now, what about for whether it's a business or a personal brand, the best times to post for engagement? Are you noticing that there's a specific time? Of course, time zones, you know, are different for everyone, but um, yeah, and, and when they can expect to get the most engagement or views. I think it's going to be very individual to the person. You should mm -hmm. certainly be looking at your Instagram analytics and understanding when your audience is responding. Um, in general, from everybody and every brand that I've ever worked with, very early hours in the morning and like dinner to 9 p.m. Mm -hmm. um, has been the best consistently, unless you're breaking news and then, for example, like it's all day long. But otherwise, yeah. it's like first thing in the morning when people are getting up, certainly fitness, if people are working out first thing in the morning, mm -hmm. um, that is the number one time. And then the other time is as people on the West Coast are leaving work, People on the East Coast mm -hmm. are home and scrolling after dinner uh, before going to bed. And that's certainly the two kind of key times that I've seen pretty consistently. But there's always anomalies. So I think it's really yeah. important to understand your audience and like when they might be expecting you to post. Yeah, personally, I've always noticed from 7am to 9am Pacific Standard Time. But also I want to say that like, I think what's really important to note, which your analytics can tell you is where are your followers? You know, what time zone are they in? You know, so for me, because even when I lived in Italy, I was waking up at three, four in the morning there because it was optimal time to post according to Pacific Standard Time. It was like five to seven PM here, which is another one of the times, like you said, yeah. you know, is is a, a good time to post. So and what something that I struggle with is when it gets past like nine AM or whatever, like especially now that I have a new baby and like, oh my goodness, it's you know, another job on top of it, you know, to to just try to get a post up every day is when it hits 9am, I'm like, dang it. You know, like I missed that you window. Missed window. Yes. yes. And then I'm like, okay, I'll just post another time that I've noticed is like noontime, kind of like lunch Pacific standard time. And then I'm like, okay, I'll just wait until I, you know, until it's that next window. But then again, with the new baby, I missed that one, you know? So like, I kind of found myself in this cycle of like getting bogged down by those ideal times. And then I end up not posting period. And I, I do personally feel like, but I would love to hear what you think that I just need to get it up there these days, you know, like I just, I can't rely on those times anymore because of how I'm going through a big life change and new routine. So would you say that if, if you can't post those optimal times, uh, should you just forget it or should you just post anyways? Post anyways at the next best time, but you have mm -hmm. to show up. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's like a garden being watered. It's like, you just got to keep caring for it and tending it and growing it. Mm -hmm. And so just show up. It doesn't have to be perfect, especially now that we're all home. Social media usage has shot up. 43% yeah. of us are spending more than three hours a day on social, which I totally believe. I know I am, but it's like people mm -hmm. are online. They're looking to be entertained or inspired or reassured. They're looking to connect right. with people. So the more you can show up, particularly, I think this year is like, nobody could have predicted this, but yeah. the more that you can show up for people when they need you, I think the better. Yeah. And another question I got from my followers is how to get over the fear of putting yourself out there. So this is more, for, I think, for people wanting to build a personal brand or become an influencer. So do you have any advice for them? It's certainly a method for success. I have to admit that like I am guilty of like, I'm not often super vulnerable online. Um, and I think, you know, as you said, you've seen me on LinkedIn. I think I prefer yeah. to post in kind of a professional context mm -hmm. and maintain my distance a little bit, which is why I've never tried to become an Instagram influencer because I'm like, look, mm -hmm. I just don't have the thing in me that like allows me to be vulnerable. I think you have to accept that if you really want to grow, particularly on Instagram, Instagram is a place people go to get vulnerable, to talk yeah. about their struggles, to commiserate with other people on their struggles. And I think 
you know, if you absolutely can't do it and you're just like, no, can I find a way to become an influencer without doing that? I think it's going to be really hard. I think that you are going to struggle with not showing your struggles. Um, right. So I think if you're, you are on Instagram, I think it's part of becoming an influencer or creator on Instagram is showing vulnerability yeah. and understanding that I think people are super sympathetic. I think probably at no other time have people been more understanding. We are all struggling. We are all suffering. Yeah. There, Everybody's going through something that, you know, we do not, you can't even mm-hmm. comprehend. Um, so I think that there's probably more sympathy for you know, posting your struggles than ever before. But yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, like, I think it is it is very hard to do. And I'm just yeah. not, I struggle with that myself. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not really, it's not necessarily my platform. And so, mm-hmm. and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think, you know, you have to understand, like, what platform am I best suited for right. where I'm going to build an audience? Because it is, you got to do what's natural to you. You got to do what feels good. It's very hard to fake it like consistently. Um, so right. if you're just doing stuff to like grow an audience fast and make those spawn con dollars, it's going to be really hard to keep it up. Yeah. And I've gotten asked this a lot too. And personally, my take on it has always been like, you have to have that thing, that, that thing that allows you to be kind of obsessed with like sharing. And I'm one of those people and that's why it works for me. Like yes. it doesn't stress me out to A, be on my phone for long hours, you know, every single day. I came from the telecom industry. It was a very natural transition for me. And I am one of those people that can just be on my phone for hours. If you're not, it is going to bog you down and become very stressful. And I do think that the social media world, because like you said, it's so linked to vulnerability, it has to be something that you enjoy doing. Otherwise, you're you're going to hate your life, you yeah. know, like trying to become an influencer and it's just all going to become too much. And so what you said about like Instagram being the platform for vulnerability, I completely agree with. And I think that they also could probably look at the different platforms and see where could their um, strengths lend themselves best. So like on YouTube, yes, it is a platform for, for vulnerability if you're a vlogger, but there's also very just matter of fact, informative videos that I think that they could tap into, would you say? Yeah, DIY. Um, you yeah, could certainly right. Also, let's not forget Pinterest. Like I oh. love <laughs> Pinterest and I'm like a secret Pinterest fan and I cheer for them. Oh and goodness. if you are a media brand, for example, Pinterest drives a lot of time for lifestyle brands. Pinterest drives more organic traffic than Facebook. So there are still Pinterest influencers and, you know, people making deals on Pinterest and Pinterest pinners being paid. So that's certainly something, like you said, it's like, if it's really hard to fake it long-term, you can, anybody Mm -hmm. can do something for a couple of months, but like for this to be your day Mm -hmm. job, it's just, you're going to tear yourself up if it's not natural to you. Look at the other platforms. Certainly, like you said, YouTube, even TikTok, they've launched this learn with TikTok And they've decided that they really want to focus on pairing like education and entertainment. And so that's their big push for the next year is pushing more DIYs, like less dances, less memes. Oh my gosh. I was just going to say, I, this has been my main struggle with TikTok. You guys don't want to see me dance or maybe you do. And you'll just laugh, you know, like, and that's okay. But like, I look at it, I'm like, all these people are dancing. I love watching people dance because I can't do it, you know? So like, I'm so in awe, but it's really been my biggest struggle of like, what am I going to do on TikTok? You know? Um, so That's great to hear. (laughs) Their big focus, like the whole platform push is like entertaining education or or educational entertainment, however you want to frame it for the next year. That is their big thing. There's actually an employee at TikTok, Kristen de Guzman. She is awesome. She is a TikTok employee, but she's also a TikTok influencer. She's a young woman. She posts career tips for young women, how to get a job at this company, how to get an internship, um, you know, what kind of things you should be doing on social media to grow your personal profile. And so she has found her own very individual and unique way to use the platform. And I love it. And I'm like, good for her for figuring out like you, you need your niche. Like don't do what everybody else is right. doing. You really like carve your own way. Right. And that's just another way that you could allow this to be something long-term because it's something that you enjoy and you're not trying to be the jack of all trades. So um, another question I got is how do nano or micro influencers even get started working with brands? Um, Okay. That's such a good question. So I would say there's a couple of different steps. One is you've got to understand how are you going to work with a brand? So there's three ways to work with a brand. One is like a direct relationship with them. Um, One is having an agent or manager, which 
typically takes like a little bit more followers mm -hmm. or like a little bit more attention. You have to know somebody. Um, the third is like, there's all these online directories that will pair you with brands. Mm -hmm. um, there's, I would say my preferred way of working is like one-on-one. -on -one. The problem with the directories is really like they own the relationship and they also take uh, traditionally take a fee. So it's going to be more expensive for the brand to go that way. You'll probably earn a little bit less money. So I would say certainly the way of working with brands one-on-one -on -one or directly is the most important. Um, create a media kit for yourself, especially if you're a nano or a micro. It's like a one-page, very visual resume that explains here's who you are, here's what your niche is, um, here's who your audience is and their demographics, like where they live, how old they are. Here's your engagement rate. And here's any other like brand collaborations or anything that you've done previously. So create that like one pager for yourself. Then you want to make sure that you have a really clear idea like, okay, everybody wants to work with, I don't know, Fenty Beauty or whoever. Mm -hmm. Like you have to have a really good idea of like, what company do you want to work with? Do they even do influencer collaborations? Mm -hmm. And if they do, how can you work with them? Which doesn't mean to say you have to like plan out a whole campaign in your head, but if you're going to DM a company or send an email to the director of marketing, you should have some sort of idea of like, I would love to work with you because, and here's what I could do for you. And so, you know, essentially you're selling a service to the brand. So what yeah. is it? You're going to say, I'm a really great content creator. I could create really fun, cool videos. And my audience loves my beauty rec product recommendations. And anytime I put a swipe up, I've seen amazing conversion rates. That's really good for the business. So you want to have kind of like a general sense of how you're going to work with them because they get pitched all the time. So it's like, mm -hmm. why are they picking you over somebody else? So right. like I said, have an idea of who you want to work for, what you would do with them, have a media kit that you can send to them. They don't want to go digging around to be like, mm -hmm. what are your top posts? Who's your audience? What's your engagement rate? Just present all of that information to them. And then, like I said, you can either reach out via DM or if you can figure out who the director of marketing is, for example, you can always send an email to stalk somebody on LinkedIn, like stalk in a friendly way, stalk them on LinkedIn, figure out who the marketing people are at that brand. So I think you can always like hit them from both sides, both like on the DM and then, for example, like reaching out to the marketing people. Being a social media expert and marketing expert, how do you guide your um you have a son, right? So yes. how do you guide your son on consuming social media? Okay, that is such a good question um, because we have conversations all the time to the point that yeah. he rolls his eyes. So oh. my son, I have always been of the belief that I would rather he be on social media but heavily monitored rather than mm -hmm. tell him he's not allowed to be on it at all. And so from the beginning... Years ago, he had like a YouTube account and an Instagram account. Um, they were both set to private. He did not know this because I didn't tell him. I just went in to the settings and adjusted. And he was like, I don't understand. my. I never grow any followers. And I'm like, oh, my oh well, gosh. but look, Gran liked it and I liked it and your dad liked it and, you know, whatever. So, um, so cute. I set privacy controls on who could follow mm -hmm. him. Now he's very much into TikTok. I sit with him and watch TikTok with him, which is part of the reason why I love TikTok because I think it's charming and I've watched so much of it. However, yeah. there is a lot of, um, there are crazy conspiracy theories. There's a lot of misogyny. Mm. There's a mm. lot of really negative stuff on there. Every time that comes up, I'm like, okay, let's talk about this. Like, who's putting oh. this out? Who does this benefit? And who's not being included in this conversation? So to the point, like I said, I think it's healthy to let kids be on social media to understand what's going on, but literally sit there. And if you hear something that is offensive or racist or misogynist, like I will say like, okay, wait, pause. And we will sit there and we will talk about it. You know, granted that was like, he's 10, he just turned 11. That still yeah. works. I think if he were older, he mm -hmm. might have less patience or whatever, but he understands that right now the deal is if he's allowed to watch TikTok, I'm allowed to sit there with him not all the time, but most of the time yeah. watch it and be able to comment and discuss the content that we see um, because I think that it's really scary if they're getting just like an unfiltered. And, you know, sometimes he is in his room watching by himself. So, yes, I'm not there every single second, but I think that, like, yeah. he has such a good grounding of, like, his first few weeks mm -hmm. on the app. And, like, at least once a day, he and I will, like, at dinner, like, we'll snuggle on the couch or whatever and we'll yeah. watch TikTok together and we will talk about as stuff comes up, like, hey, maybe you 
you should like, if there's something that's wildly inappropriate, you can actually flag that on TikTok to see less of that content. So I'll be like, listen, right. let's flag this one because really you do not want to see more of this. Um, but we right. talk about it and I think like it's super important as a parent to be informed about like who are the good guys who are the bad guys what are the threats what are the dangers and you know help kind of like guide them through that I really applaud that I think that's a really great lesson for us you know parents I'm not gonna have to deal with this for a while but a lot of the listeners are so but you know what it's gonna come sooner than you think I mean honestly by like one or two it's like they want it they see a screen and they're like right what is this what are you watching I want to watch with you it's like it comes so early so I think rather than blocking it in the belief that you're like oh I can control his his whole world and his environment like they're gonna go to friends house at some point they'll go back to friends houses they'll go back to school or preschool or daycare wherever they're gonna be with your mom your sisters your you know your dad your uncles your aunts your whatever and it's like they're gonna get exposed to stuff and you want them to have critical thinking skills to be able to understand what am I seeing and like how real is this so um I have two more questions for you okay so the name of the podcast is Your Best Life with Anna Victoria. The whole point of that is that there's no such thing, you know, there's no one best life. We all have different priorities and different experiences that have allowed us to live our own version of that. So what's something that you would say is a lesson or just something in your life that has allowed you to live your best life? You know, I would say for all of its dangers and its addiction, um, social media, I have particularly on Twitter. So there's like my two platforms are LinkedIn and Twitter. That's where I enjoy spending the most, like the majority of my time. Um, On Twitter, I have made friends. I have been introduced to new ideas that I never really thought about before. I'm thinking a lot more about like accessibility in uh, digital marketing right now. And there's somebody that I follow on Twitter that's constantly talking about like how to make your content more accessible for different audiences. It's not something I ever thought about, but I'm like, Oh, that's really interesting. Um, I follow, you know, people from all around the world. I am exposed to like new ideas. I've gotten, like I said, jobs, friends, opportunities all through Twitter. So I think for all of its faults, I think social media is a wonderful thing. And I think the more people you can connect with, the more you can get outside of your bubble. Um, And that's like a really big one is like, follow people that don't look like you, that don't talk exactly like you. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's just obviously cut out the toxic and there is a lot of toxic obviously. Um, But like expose yourself to like, it's a really big world and there are similarities and differences between us and people all over this country and the world. Um, And that just, you know, it helps. It makes me a better, smarter person to follow all of these diverse people. And even if we would never be friends in real life, I'm just like, huh, you gave me something to think about. Yeah. Um, I would say the one other tip, though, after watching The Social Dilemma, and it's I highly recommend everybody watches this documentary. Again, it's really important to just educate yourself on the power that all of the social platforms have and the methods and mechanisms they use to get people to keep logging on every day. It's not necessarily Mm -hmm. new information, but I think it's important to think about. After I watched the documentary, the one change I made is I turned off all my notifications. So Twitter, Instagram, Mm -hmm. Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, everything, all my notifications. I no longer get notifications. The amount of mental peace... Mm. Um, and wellness that that has brought me has been wonderful. So um, watch the documentary, turn off your notifications. I think you will be a happier person for it. I believe it. Um, My last question for you, which you already kind of answered, is where can people find and follow you? Yeah, so I am on Instagram, obviously. And I, you know, that's where we first connected. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I would say Twitter and LinkedIn is, are probably my preferred platforms. And I talk a lot about marketing and, you know, careers and feminism and, and just kind of like branding yourself. Um, and it's always Leah Haberman at Leah Haberman across all the platforms. So um, that's where people can find me. Amazing, Leah. This was so fascinating. My mind was racing at a million miles an hour, a <laughs> whole conversation. Thank you so much for your time. And I hope you're staying safe and healthy out there. Fabulous. You too. And say hi to Luca. Yes, thank you. I will. <laughs> All right. That was my conversation with Leah Haberman. Luca, what did you think? <laughs> I really appreciate their point of view of do whatever you think it's your thing. Like yes. if, if Reels is not your thing, don't do that. For us, I think, you know, TikTok is, you know, where, you know, you the funny videos, stuff like that. Is it our thing? No, like, you mean mine? No, like my thing? Yeah, no. Yeah. 
like I said on, uh, you know, with Leah just now, when I look at TikTok and I see people dancing, I'm like, I, I can't do that, guys. I mean, sure, I can. But like on being completely honest in this time that TikTok has kind of exploded, I've been pregnant, moving to a new state, COVID, you know, and just also running a business. I just working like, it on was, a very big project, too. So right. It's, yeah. I yeah. just was like thinking, you know, and I still feel this way. I just do not have the time right now, you know, but it, but again, this is the difference between someone who is just an, I don't say just an influencer. It's a lot of work, but someone who is an influencer and actually has a business. It's all just starting out, right? She said, if you're just starting sure. out, well, you should For definitely sure. explore a multiple route. It's really nice how Leah uses you as an example in their classes too. You know, oh, where, that's you know, so that's flattering. Nice. I had no idea. Um, but yeah, what I, I actually also really like, and hold on, I just want to say, all the stuff on TikTok, I look at it and I'm like in awe of like yeah. the creativity that people have. And like, I don't want to say I'm not creative. I think I'm creative in other ways, but I'm just not creative in, <laughs> as, you know, in that traditional TikTok way. I'm sure that there's still things that I, that I could, you know, drum up. But I really did love, like you said, what she said about find the platform that speaks best to yeah. your personality, to your, to, yeah, to, to your voice. Like it doesn't have to be dancing, you know, in front of your phone. It can be doing more, you know, instructional videos on YouTube or, you know, sharing beautiful travel pictures in a non COVID world, you know, on Instagram. So, and aside from that, truly guys, like my brain was just going a million miles an hour during this whole podcast because she was sharing things that were so informative and insightful for someone who is in the industry and I learned a lot from her so I thought it was super fascinating mm -hmm. she had a great analogy about the magazine like when you you know yes, go true. through a magazine you know you see an ad every once in a while right content yeah. content content ad content and it's great because you cannot have an ad every page otherwise people right. wouldn't read the of magazine course. and I There's think no it's value. a great analogy and uh, also, actually, I wanted to talk to you about this, IGTV ads. <laughs> I know. I, you know, I'm kind of excited about that because I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Like I spend hours and hours and hours in put, in creating content, like all content creators do. And, you know, Instagram, it's, it's true. Like I have put, you know, all my eggs in that basket and I've tried to really dedicate time to YouTube, but that's just not where my community is. And I just... I really, really fixate on nurturing my community. And sure, maybe I should be spending more time on trying to, you know, grow it outside. But I just, I love connecting with you girls so much that that's what I've decided to focus on. And I definitely, I don't regret it. But for that reason, I am excited for Instagram and that hopefully, you know, we can start, you know, sharing some things on IGTV and, and yeah. And get get a little something for the hundreds of hours of work that I put into all this content. So thousands, um, we, thousands, and thousands. <laughs> over the years, yeah, yeah, probably. So, all right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. We would love to hear what you think and if it was helpful. Um, and yeah, we'll talk to you guys next time. And that is it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to share with a friend, spread the word and help us grow our tribe. Please rate and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes each week. You can also follow us on Instagram and join our Facebook group, both under the same name, Your Best Life Podcast, to keep the conversation going. You can also send me an email at yourbestlifepodcast at gmail.com and you just might be featured in a future episode. Your Best Life is a Gallery Media Group original production. <laughs>